Candid Catholic Convos, a program brought to you by the Catholic Diocese of Harrisburg. Our mission is to humanize the church and help you to grow in your faith, love, and understanding. I'm your host, Rachel Trochet, a cradle Catholic who's only human and struggled with faith on more than one occasion. Each week, you'll hear engaging, down-to-earth interviews and actionable strategies you can implement into your life with ease to help you grow closer to God. If you're ready to open your heart and step fully into the person God created you to be, then you're in the right place. Let's get started. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Candid Catholic Convos. If you've ever wondered what the meaning of life is, it's 42. Also, don't panic and bring a towel. According to the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, the answer to the ultimate question of life, the universe, and everything is 42. It's Douglas Adams's absurdly simple answer to a complex philosophical question throughout his comedy science fiction franchise. The book radio show, and movie are all very hilarious. They follow the hero, a hapless, deeply ordinary man named Arthur Dent, who unexpectedly finds himself adrift in a universe characterized by randomness and absurdity, continuously referencing key concepts that resonate with literally all human beings. Questions like, who am I? Why am I here? How can I be happy? What does it mean to be human? If you're like me, you've probably found yourself asking at least one of these questions at some point in your life. Maybe you've tried to find yourself through personal development or by taking a road trip, or you've tried to find meaning with a career change. Maybe it worked for you. But if it didn't, if you're still searching for that one thing that will bring meaning, I want you to really lean into this episode. To be completely transparent, I had no idea what theology of the body was when I started researching this episode. I had heard about it. I knew it began as talks given by St. Pope John Paul II, and I knew it had something to do with sex. I figured it was for married couples, and that was it. What I discovered, though, was so much more. It is, quite literally, the answer to life, the universe, and everything. And it's as absurdly simple as the arbitrary number 42. I'm so excited to share with you what I learned after speaking with Bill Donahue, the senior lecturer at Theology of the Body Institute, on why this study is the golden key to living out our God-given purpose. Bill, thank you so much for joining me today. I am so excited to be talking to you about this topic. It's one that I'm just getting familiar with, so I'm really excited to have an expert come talk to us. Oh boy, the pressure's on, expert. (laughs) (laughs) Would you mind telling me a little bit about yourself? Sure, sure, Rachel, and it's a privilege to be on. I mean, anytime I can can talk about this topic, it's a grace because uh, I'm 22 years in to studying this. I better be an expert by now. And I still find it fascinating, refreshing, inspiring, challenging. So, yeah. So let me introduce myself a little bit and we'll get into this theology of the body. Um, I am a husband and father first. Uh, My wife and I will be married um, 20 years this coming. Well, I guess we're 19 years married now. 
we have four kiddos. Uh, we're a fully adopted family and uh, two boys, two girls. And for the last 22 years, essentially, I've been studying this teaching theology of the body. So I'm a, a senior lecturer and educator for the Theology of the Body Institute. So I travel nationally and internationally, courses, keynotes, um, retreats, presentations on John Paul's teaching on human life and human love, and uh, from bishops down to kids receiving confirmation, the whole church, and translating this teaching from my own experience and heart to this uh, to the whole church, really, has been the grace of my life. So it's a privilege, Rachel, to chat with you about TOB today. I love that. So tell me a little bit more about the Theology of the Body Institute. What is it and who is it for? Sure, sure. We'll start with the second question. It's for everybody. My my good friend and, uh, and mentor, Christopher West, will often say, if you have a body, uh, the Theology of the Body is for you. Right? That's us. It's everybody. And in fact, uh, the core teaching of the Theology of the Body is that you are a body. You are an embodied gift. You are made in the image and likeness of God, male and female, and you're called to life-giving love. And so the theology of the body is really about God's plan. It's about God's plan for man and woman from Genesis, from the beginning when he created us embodied beings, man and woman. So in particular, theology of the body is actually a teaching of St. John II. It was his first teaching project as Pope. He began speaking on this topic, theology of our body, and we're going to unpack this in the whole session here. He began teaching it in uh, September of 1979, and he didn't stop till 1984. So five years, he's unpacking a biblical understanding and also a philosophical understanding of what it means to be human. So, I mean, the, the biggest questions are in this teaching, Rachel. Who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? And what is the mystery of the other? Not just the opposite sex, but the other person. This is a personalistic philosophy, a personalistic understanding of being a person and being human and called again to life and love. So I find under the umbrella of theology of the body is the whole gospel. In fact, John Paul II says the whole mission of Christ is unpacked in this teaching about what it means to be human. That's crazy. So... I don't even know where to start. <laughs> so as Catholics, what what does this mean for us? I mean, obviously, those who are not Catholic also have bodies. But specifically to our faith, what does this mean for us? Yes. So if you think about it, Rachel, everybody has Catholic, non-Catholic, atheist, agnostic, whatever your journey, everybody has the same existential questions. And I just alluded to them, right? Like, who am I? Where did I come from? Where am I going? This applies to every person's deepest ache for relationship, for intimacy, for self-awareness and understanding, uh, for my vocation. So the theology of the body can be translated to everybody in their particular walk of life. I mean, one of the core, there's so many places we could go with this, but one of the core teachings in it which is gospel. This is all the good news of the gospel. One of the core teachings John Paul unpacks is that a person should always be loved and never used. That's kind of at the core of it. That any human person you encounter is never an object to be grasped at, uh, a thing to be objectified or used for pleasure or popularity or power, whatever it might be. The only response, he says, in the presence of another human being is love. 
So think about that, translate that into our present culture right now. If we have an understanding of this personalistic norm, he calls it, that you love persons and you use things, not the other way around, right? Don't use people and love things. If you love persons and use things, we get oriented the right way. I don't fall into greed or lust or murder or avarice or lies. I'm actually being honest, authentic, real. I meet people in and through the body. I encounter them. I, I look at their face. I have no ulterior motives. I mean, you know, this is why for 22 years, I'm going nuts with this teaching because it's the golden key for understanding everything and our own interior joy, right? If you get this, you have joy. You understand why we're here. That's amazing. I, I don't know why, but if, if you've ever seen Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, they mentioned that the yes. meaning of life is the number 42. And I'm like, no, right. well, no, it's not. It's it's this. <laughs> and it's, it's so fascinating to hear you put it so basically plainly, like for lack of a better word, um, it's plain, but it's deep. And when you think about it, it's it's so simple. And yet so many people don't. So I yeah. love that. Yeah, you know what? That's a good thing to kind of put your finger on, Rachel, because if it's overly complicated or convoluted or takes a lot of like, well, you know, it's such a complicated issue, that's actually a red flag. <laughs> the Lord and his plan for us is utterly, but not simplistic. So there, there should be a simplicity here, but it's like it goes down multiple layers. I mean, way down deep. It's a wellspring. So by saying this is utterly simple at its core doesn't mean it's simplistic, if that makes sense. Yes. Um, yeah, St. Augustine, before St. Augustine had his conversion, now he was, you know, this amazing early church father, you know, this is what, 1600 years ago. St. Augustine was kind of in the complicated, convoluted, heretical cults and philosophies, and he thought the Bible was too simple. It was a book for peasants. That's what Augustine thought. And then when Augustine actually had a conversion and read scripture, he realized, oh, wow, I've been so arrogant. The scriptures are deep, like the ocean, even though there's simple truths in it, like love your neighbor, you know, <laughs> that that when you scratch that, it goes all the way deep. So this is theology of the body, John Paul's thought. I mean, there's simple quotes you could throw one line out, and that expresses its totality, and yet you'll never exhaust it. For, for Here's one line, and this is Father Pascal Eide. He shared this thought. The essential truth of the human person is gift, right? Gift expresses the essential truth of the human person. If you understand that, you understand everything, right? I, I'm not, it's not based on merit. It's not based on what I can do or my, my curriculum vitae, my LinkedIn profile. It's not like production oriented. And when you see everything is gift from the created world to the created person in front of you, it relaxes your spirit. And you're ready to be attentive to everybody. St. John Paul II's theology of the body is that. St. John Paul II lived it in his body. People would say when they met him, I feel like I was the only person in the room. I don't know if you've ever heard that. When, when people would meet him in the body, they would say it was like he was looking directly at me. He's living this truth that you are the image of God. And I, I, I put my phone down. I don't have to be checking email. I'm very attentive because you're a gift. And you have something to give to me. That's another piece of the core of this teaching. That's really powerful when you put it that way. Mm. So this might be a loaded question, but mm. according to John Paul II and his teachings of theology of the body, 
what does it mean to be human? Yes, good question. What he does is he steps into our historical realm. Uh, John Paul II began writing Theology of the Body in the 1970s as a book. And in the 1970s, we're post-sexual revolution. So there's all sorts of, uh, you know, post-industrial revolutions, sexual revolution, communist revolution. The question of what does it mean to be human, uh, secular thoughts were giving ideas, like we're just a pleasure machine or we're just a cog in the great political system, you know, Marxist ideas. None of those answered the question of what it means to be human. So the historical piece is broken. I think every one of us could, could look in the mirror and say, yeah, original sin is real. It's in me. So John Paul II says, okay, what does it mean to be human is really important question. Are we going to find the answers in this broken mess? He says, let's go back to the beginning. So the theology of the body begins with Genesis. And when we ask that question, what does it mean to be human in the light of Genesis before sin, right? Genesis chapters one and two, we realize to be human means to be in relationship. God says, let us make man in our image after our likeness, male and female, he created them. Right from the beginning, we realize, whoa, this is, God is not a solitude. He's, he's a family. He says, let us make man. So to be human is to be called into family, male and female, he created them. And then the first commandment from God is be fruitful and multiply, right? So being human means being in relationship, being a gift for another person, not in a clingy way, but being dependent. Like uh, John Paul says, masculine and feminine, he says, explain and complete each other. So if I'm going to be fully alive as a person, as a man, I can't do it alone, right? I, I, and this is American culture now, Rachel, you know this, we've grown up in it, we have to fight this because it's like, you don't want to be dependent, you know, you got to do your own thing and you got to be independent, make your decisions. And uh, we think that sort of radical individualism is, is how we're going to complete and find ourselves. That's not the gospel. <laughs> it's a becoming a gift, right? When we lay down our life, we, we discover it. When we give ourselves, we find ourselves. So being human is about that. Being human means, uh, again, I'm saying the same thing over and over, but you're a gift for me. I'm called to be a gift for you. Then everything starts to pop. Being human, it's being in a relationship. That's really interesting. I hadn't heard it phrased like that before, and it makes so much sense. I just really appreciate hearing that it's it's not about being able to do it by yourself because you're right. That's, you know, hustle culture and, you know, just, per, you know, the harder you work, the further you're going to get in life. And I had done an episode previously talking about personal development and how ignoring God's grace is actually somewhat dangerous because, you know, all the different trends in personal development now are delving into topics that really, we have no idea what we're doing, like chakras and things like that. And, and, and when you phrase it, like you said, it's simple, but it's not simplistic. And we have to dial back all the trends and get to the root mm -hmm. of the issue. And the issue is having a relationship with another person, you know, not with a rock or, <laughs> you know, because right. people are That's into true. crystals and all that. Yes. Mm -hmm. So I love that. You had mentioned the sexual revolution and, you know, women's liberation. And we're obviously going through something right now as a as a nation. In the Catholic faith, 
mothers are held in very high regard and we want to uphold their dignity and their value. But what about women who aren't mothers? Maybe they aren't mothers yet or God hasn't blessed them with children or they're called to consecrated life. How can women who aren't mothers embrace theology of the body? Wow, this is a really big, excellent question here, Rachel. We're going to have to unpack this slowly and uh, reverently. And I love that you're going right into it because this is literally the past couple of days, this, this whole topic of woman has exploded. And I think without an understanding of like right anthropology or understanding what it means to be human, we can go down the wrong path. And I think our culture and a lot of the screaming and yelling right now and the destruction, literal, physical, emotional, and spiritual is, is showing us we're going down the wrong path. Let me try to answer your question in, in a couple of pieces here. First off, sexual revolution, and I said a little a while ago, uh, industrial revolution, these revolutions, I would almost call devolutions, right? They're, they're, we've, we've lost our human nature. The industrial revolution, um, which would probably be almost 200 years ago, right? This kind of severed us from the natural world and natural rhythms. So when you, when you cut yourself off from the natural, you start to lose the sense of the supernatural. So families kind of got torn apart with the industrial revolution. Jump ahead a little bit. A sexual revolution starts to move us even from our own, like the procreative power of our bodies. So we, we un, we unmoor ourselves from that reality. So the sexual revolution essentially was like the fun, but not the fertility, right? Like it's for pleasure. It's not for procreation. When you do that, you've, you've uncoupled the dual dimension of being human, right? Unitive for love, procreative for life. Uh, now we're dealing with this post post-row world right now. There's a lot of anger because I, I, I want to go back to that. I want that radical freedom. I want to be my own, you know, the arbiter of my own destiny. I want absolute control of my body. Okay, remember the beginning was about you're a gift for me. I'm a gift for you. My body is a gift. My body speaks to language. It means something. So we have to get back into what does it mean to be woman? It's crazy in the last year or so. We've seen so many sort of far left ideologies that, refuse or, or, or don't even answer the question of what does it mean to be a woman? It's almost like irrelevant. Your sexuality is just all social construct. It doesn't mean anything. Again, if we cut off the natural, we quickly become unnatural. Woman, right? So your question, back to your question, Rachel, what, what does an understanding of woman mean today? At the deepest core of the feminine, and we'll talk about the masculine too if we have the time, but the deepest core of the feminine is a nurturing capacity, the ability to literally physiologically bring forth life, like receive the seed from man, give the gift back as life, immortal human life. I mean, talk about power. Do women have power? Heck yes. They have altered the course of human history. Has it been abused by men? Yes, there's been abuse and domination. But woman's deepest core is receiving and gifting back life, constructing, nourishing, and building life. This doesn't mean, to your question now in detail, Rachel, it doesn't mean that every woman, therefore, to realize themselves has to have babies, right? Nor does it mean that every man has to become a biological father to realize his fullness. But every person is called to motherhood and fatherhood, right? Women are called to this, this sort of crown of bearing life, spiritually or biologically, 
nurturing life, being attentive to life. This is woman. Whether you're a consecrated virgin, a married woman, um, a divorced woman who's experienced heartbreak, right? a single woman. John Paul II says, you have a spousal meaning to your body, whatever your vocation. In other words, you're meant to become a gift. And women have a unique capacity to do that, to sort of enter into that realm of life. And I'll say it again, whether it's physical or spiritual, interjecting here, our family story, right? I introduced myself, we're a fully adopted family. So Rebecca and I have infertility. Does this mean we're not really mom and dad? Absolutely not. We are fully authentically mother and father. So uh, I'm going to pause there for a second because I'm throwing a lot at you. I feel like the fire hydrant. I'm just like. <laughs> no, this is all good. Deep in the core of woman, and I think it's so important today to understand this, is I have a power and a capacity to nurture and knit together in me life. And it's not just physical, although that can be the springboard, but it's spiritual life, rich emotional life, right? Being attentive and contemplative and in tune. I see this in my wife all the time. She has such a gift to be so attentive to people. She has a remembrance. Rebecca can remember so many things at a human level, so many conversations. And I'm like, I don't know what I had for breakfast today. How do you do that? You know, so woman's genius uh, is really essential today as as a life bearer and life giver. And again, that doesn't just mean having babies. I hope that makes sense, Rachel. It absolutely does. No, and I I 100% agree. My husband and I were talking the other day that, you know, my mind is like an internet browser. You know, I'm I'm constantly <laughs> managing. I've got like 30 million tabs open because I have to remember my son likes this and my other son likes this and, you know, people's schedules and things like that. And when you stop viewing it as a burden and you start viewing it as a gift, man, mm. that's a rush of power. Like talk about being like if you want to truly be feminist – like that's what we should be embracing. And I feel like that's lost because of ideologies that have been that have, you know, more ad dollars behind them, essentially. But I really love the way you phrase that, because, again, like just because you don't have babies doesn't mean you don't have a gift that you're not that you are not a gift. That is not the single right. thing that defines you. Rachel, can I pop in just a thought on that point? And I love what you just shared personally. John Paul II has this amazing insight, and I believe it's in the Theology of the Body catechesis uh, that he unpacked, but maybe somewhere else in his writings where he says, our culture presently is struggling with either um, mater, which is the Latin for mother, or material matter. And in the post-industrial, post-sexual revolution, even post-gender revolution, we're looking at ourselves just as machines, you know, production-oriented. You just mentioned, right, it's about the numbers. We're not machines, right? We have to get away from the, just like we're only matter and the accumulation of matter. We have to get back to mater, the mothering. Because the the life, like your attentiveness to your three children and to your husband and to everybody in your whole circle and beyond, this outlives all material things. It's like your personal constructions and family life and relationships this stretches into eternity into the communion of saints, right? So like when you compare that with like, I want a job that's equal with men so I can have power to, to what, you know, like it starts to shrivel and that goes for men as well. If we think our life is about accumulating power and wealth and financial stability. Okay. And then what, what have you done personally? What have you done in a human way to, to have life flourish? If we think we're machines or just matter, we fail. 
when we return to mater, mothering, or pater, fathering, that's the, that's the goldmine right there. And that's what it means to be authentically human. So you had mentioned your mentor, Christopher West. I believe he's the president of the Theology of the Body Institute. Yes, we have an executive director, Jason Clark, and Christopher is our president. And Christopher and I um, are sort of the main educators for the courses, though Jen Settles also another, uh, she teaches occasionally. Um, but Christopher and I would be the uh, main ones who deliver courses for the Institute. That's awesome. I was listening to a podcast where he was being interviewed and in it, he mentioned a culture that eliminates the sexual difference in the name of equality is a culture committing suicide. We touched on this a little bit in our last question, but could you elaborate on why or how eliminating these differences could actually be harmful in today's society? Absolutely. Yeah. Gosh. And it's so, um, a lot of the gender ideologies out there today, uh, in, you know, in the name of freedom are actually enslaving us to this, you know, a, a false ideology. So we've been talking, Rachel, about how we're called to be gift <clears throat> and the human person is called to relationship. And I like to refer to it as dance, the great dance, that all creation actually, as God designed it from the beginning, has complementarity. It has giving and receiving. God sets up the world in the beginning with day and night, sun and moon, land and sea, light and darkness. He's got all these complements, these diverse things that create a splendid harmony. The crown of creation is man and woman. So there's something like cosmic about being masculine male, feminine female. So when we live according to our nature, flourishing happens, life happens. God puts us in a garden. So we see naturally this flourishing of complementarity and we're the crown of that garden and we're called to flourish into like immortal human lives flowing from us. Gender ideologies today that uh, that just say all sexual difference is social construct, it's meaningless, you can be non-binary. Like this is a popular phrase today in the realm of ideologies, right? That I, I don't, I'm neither, I'm non-binary. Okay, well, first off, that's sort of illogical because by saying you're non-binary as opposed to binary, you just created another binary. So there's still, there's, there's no escaping the fact that there's always a dance, right? But the non-binary and mercy and compassion for people in authentic gender dysphoria, right? This is tragic. People have authentic gender dysphoria. It's no surprise post-sexual revolution, post-contraceptive mentality and abortion that we don't know who the heck we are. So mercy and compassion to anybody struggling with their sexual identity. But if we try to eradicate sexual difference or think, you know, we're just sort of androgynous or uh, blank, blank canvas, we're literally homeless. We've unfortunately run out of time, but if you'd like to hear the rest of this episode, you can listen to us anytime on Spotify under Candid Catholic Convos, or you can download this episode from our website at hbgdiocese.org. Thank you so much for listening. Our goal at the Diocese of Harrisburg is to walk with you on your faith journey. So if this episode resonated with you in any way, the easiest way to show your appreciation is by sharing this program with your network or by leaving a review on your listening platform. You can also support us financially by making a donation online at hbgdiocese.org DAC and clicking the make a donation button. Thanks again, and we'll see you at church on Sunday.